the things we plant in our brain and speak and the way we speak to ourselves creates our experience. Hello, and welcome to the Ever Widening Circles podcast, now rebranded to be the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast. I think that's going to be a little bit easier to remember over time because there is such an enormous wave of goodness and progress happening in the world that we're calling it a conspiracy of goodness. So, what better place to start interviewing some of the thought leaders in the world? who are leading us forward with their efforts to open a new era. Today, we're gonna to be talking to an amazing man that I met about, I think about 18 months ago. And Drayton Boylston is a thought leader in the world of executive training, mindfulness, seeing the world in a more expanded way and realizing that the options for us are wide open. I know that Drayton has expanded my notions about what's possible every single time I talk to him. So I'm Dr. Linda Ulrich. I'm founder of Ever Widening Circles. Since 2014, we've written thousands of articles about all the insight and innovation going uncelebrated in the world. And I've been having incredible conversations with amazing people like Drayton. And just recently, we decided to start recording these and sharing them with the world. So Drayton, you've got the scope of your work is so lovely. And I'm so excited about sharing it with people. I'm going to make a stab at an introduction and then I'll let you expand on it. Sounds great. Uh, Drayton is a former CEO of a Fortune a, a Fortune 100 executive, and now he would describe himself as a spiritual adventurer. He is the founder of a couple of organizations that have taught so many executives around the world, I think in 39, 40, maybe more countries, about how to bring a mindful attitude into their work and their workplaces. And I think you were one of the ones that were taught was talking about mindfulness before it was a thing. So Drayton, welcome to the uh, Conspiracy of Goodness podcast. Glad to be here. And, and we're going to kind of uh, jump into some fun stuff today. And I'm excited about that and excited to spend time with you. Give me a little bit better idea of the scope of your work, because, you know, this is what I found from your digital footprint and the things I've known about you for the last 18 months. Give me some clarity on exactly what, what you've been up to for these many years. Boy, I'm, I sound ancient when we <laughs> talk about these many years. Well, really, we started going on this our 21st year in leadership development, and that was after I did the, uh, I call it my right turn in the, in the uh, career side of things and started devoting my time and efforts to, at the start, leadership development. And that was 21 years ago. We created, at the start of the movement, the Rescue Institute. And our goal was to help, at the time, 100,000 executives save themselves from the lives they created. And that continued to grow and it morphed into the Executive Coaching University. And we have trained, as you were saying, um, boy, tens of thousands of people in 39 countries now. And we continue to do training there. And that training 
started out as leadership development, executive coaching, and then has grown into all of this mindfulness work. And part of that mindfulness work is that we created the mindful leader continuum and we saw a need in the mindfulness world that there was not an association, not a, a group that brought people together. And so we created the International Mindfulness Federation as well. <laughs> this 20 years ago, now this was probably a stretch for executives, huh? Uh it was a contortion <laughs> at, that, at that time. Uh, when we started doing the mindfulness work, and my experience on the mindfulness front goes back to the 1970s, believe it or not. My mother was a PhD in comp and psychology, and I was her guinea pig. And she introduced me and to meditation and visualization and made cassette tapes for me to put under my pillow and really planted this seed of mindfulness that laid fallow for a number of years until it started sprouting forth really about 22 years ago. And during that time, what I discovered was that when it came to executive coaching or mindfulness training, there were not very many people involved that were of the corporate mindset and spoke the corporate language. So we saw what was out there, um, you know, in this landscape of training and educating people around these various things. And we said, you know, this is not going to sit well in the corporate world. So at that point in time, we took a lot of these great basic principles and then what we call translated them into corporate speak so that executives and others would be much more open to employing these for themselves. And so one of those things was meditation. And the meditation piece would not have been well received in the corporate world. And so we simply called it quiet time. So when we work with executives or other people in the, the corporate world, we'd say, okay, now we're going to devote 15 minutes to quiet time. And here's what we want you to do. Focus on your breath. And we talked about all the basic tenets of meditation. We simply labeled it quiet time. Zero pushback. And the reason we did that, other than just that, that translation piece and making sure that we were catering appropriately to our audience, was that data, the science around this was not at that point where it had caught up where we could introduce the science first and convince executives that based upon these scientific findings, you should be doing these things. We knew that's what they needed to be doing because it worked for ourselves and has worked for thousands of years, but the science had not caught up. And now the science is caught up. So obviously we're just talking about meditation and mindfulness much more overtly now. Yeah, there was a period there when the Dalai Lama got very interested in the actual brain science of meditation, yeah. right? You yeah. were probably just right in that curve, right? Ab absolutely. Yeah, and then we've, in fact, in our database, we have a database of 4,000 articles on mindfulness through the International Mindfulness Federation. And so many of those articles are very steeped in scientific research and that the neuroscience behind it. Okay, so so when I uh, introduced you that you'd gone from this this heavy business world to spiritual adventure, you know, a lot of times people will shut down when they hear the word spiritual. Yeah. Because they 
they it's easily mixed up with religion. But what you're talking about is an expanded point of view. Give, give me your take on spirituality versus religion. Uh, they are completely different. And there's, I think people put them in the big bucket because they don't really know the difference. And the difference is, is very pronounced and from where I sit. So, and I don't want to get into the, the religious thing, but suffice it to say that meditation and mindfulness training is steeped in science and neuroscience and does not have any kind of religious attachment. It's not, you know, the Buddhists certainly are on the forefront of it, but it's not Buddhism. It's very agnostic when it comes to any association other than training our brains. The spiritual piece of it is, for me, it's not the attachment you know, I love what Gandhi said that, you know, religion is of man, not of God. And that's kind of how I feel in that the spiritual peace enables me to open up to all that is and all the potential without the attachment to man's need to have more structure around it. That's lovely. It's, it's probably insight without structure, would you say? Is there a common well, wisdom yeah. that you're tapping into? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's universal wisdom. And really, I I feel that it just comes from within. And I think that tapping into our intuition is just tapping into the divine. Lovely. That's a, just such a lovely way to say it. Now, speaking of common wisdom, I don't know if you've noticed over in that corner is a clock that was designed by Leonardo da Vinci. And it has suddenly sprung to life, and it's making quite a noise a little as it goes. So I'm yeah. going to turn off that clock, or the, the podcast producers are going to be mad at me. Strange. That thing, it, it hasn't worked in months and months, and it suddenly sprang to life. Okay, okay. Let's let's appreciate this. I just got to chill. And no, it's so weird. Oh, yeah, I well, it, is it weird? It's, <laughs> it's, um, it's, a, it's designed by Leonardo da Vinci. and. Yeah. It's based on the spring, a really tightened spring. And mm -hmm. so you, you crank this thing and it's been sitting there not moving for three months and it suddenly sprang to life. I don't understand. Oh, I think it's very telling. And I, <laughs> I think your awareness around that is a big deal. Wow. That was really strange. I, see, I, I think that there is beautiful serendipitous or our synchronicity and throughout our day that we rarely are attuned to and it's that it's that being versus doing and just being aware of that thing going off and using that moment as okay that put us in that present moment to focus on that clock and the beauty of the design from an amazing human being that walked the planet that is, it is, you're so right. <laughs> this, oh. I, I marvel at those things. How cool is that? The universe that just is. sent us some magical message in that. I, you know, I, I have to have been a student of serendipity to get through the ever widening circle to journey and keep putting mm -hmm. one foot in front of the other. But, you know, we've just always got to leave room for serendipity no matter how much control we want to have. Uh, ab absolutely. It's, it's funny you bring up the word control. It's, I was asked one time to write the forward for the book, uh, 
the Control Freak's Guide to the Universe. And I got the request and I thought, is this a compliment or <laughs> or not? <laughs> and I think one of the beautiful learnings that has sprung forward throughout this whole pandemic and dealing with all that we have is that the universe has sent us a message loud and clear that we are not in control. That's absolutely something that's never crossed my mind as much as we, as much as we all are just trying to make, make it to the end of the day, some days where things seem way, way, way out of balance. What if, what if (laughs) that's the, that's the takeaway message for us. Then where do we go? Well, there's a word just popped up for me and I think it's an important one, Linda, and that is trust. I think that all of us, have gotten away from trusting the universe, the greater plan, however you look at these things. But we think that we have all the answers and we think that we're in control and we think that our life should go as we plan it and in this linear fashion. And we've lost sight that we need to sometimes, and and I'm saying this into the mirror, many of these things, because I need to learn them, continue to learn them as everyone does, is that we don't trust as much. And, and quite frankly, it starts with ourselves. We don't trust our intuition, which is the purest voice that we have. And if we did that and we just listened to our guts, our intuition, how would things be different? So we have had a time to pause and consider these things a little bit more than when we were on the treadmill exactly a year ago. What are you seeing? I, you know, I, I was thinking about the things we might talk about today and I, I had written down so many things when I asked you just before we started, you said we might should talk about three things, vulnerability, authenticity, and resilience. Let's, Let's take, let's take those one at a time and just see what you're finding is resonating with people and helpful. Cause that one thing I really love this podcast to do is be helpful and thoughtful yeah. for people, leave people with some things to consider long past the end of this, this chat. So let's talk about vulnerability. What do you, it, cause it relates to trust. That's what made me think to go that way. Yeah. yeah, it absolutely does. Well, in the context that that I work in on a daily basis with a lot of executives and high-powered folks from around the world, the vulnerability piece is the opposite of what they want to do, <laughs> quite frankly. I And I tell them, you know, a little bit about my story in terms of when I came up through the corporate ranks, it's, you know, the corporate world is structured after the military, basically. It's very autocratic. It's very top-down. It's very, you know, command and control and that's shifting, thank goodness, and things are getting away from that. But the fact is, when I was coming through the ranks, you had to be 10 feet tall and bulletproof. And the the statement, I don't know, was never uttered. You had to have all the answers. And it puts you under this very stressful persona that you were a different person walking through the doors of the corporation versus the person going home, home to have your kids hug you. And therefore vulnerability was not an option and people thought that leadership was about being stoic and tough and having all the answers and the reality is the workforce of today demands just the opposite and so we have to show up from this place of vulnerability and say I don't know and that place of I'm 
afraid. I don't know what's happening. The world has changed. We're all in this together. Put everybody in the same canoe and get them rowing in the same direction because we don't know. We just flat out don't know. So I think vulnerability has has sprung forward and is this beautiful movement within the right enlightened executives in particular that will start and have started leading their companies in a much different way. Yeah. You know, one of the things I'm starting to do is a lot of public speaking around the opening of a new era. Mm-hmm. And I'm very anxious to talk to corporate leaders about moving on, moving from this attention economy we've been in for the last really 50, 60 years to something that I see evolving called the gratitude economy. You know, I have all these millennials in my life, the CEO of Everwinding Circles, my daughter, business partner is 28. Then I have a 23 year old daughter, 21. And (laughs) don't buy a Christmas present for a millennial who's trying to be a good person in the world, unless you've done your homework, because you're going to get a huge lecture. You know, mom. I know them well. Yes. Don't you know the CEO does this horrible thing and their supply chain does that horrible thing? I mean, we have got to get corporate leadership at the highest levels to be able to be vulnerable, say that, uh, yeah, they haven't quite, quite been, they've been doing good business, but not maybe business that's good for the future of us all and to just shift yeah yeah i completely agree and the movement's very much afoot and we're doing all we can from our standpoint to keep those seeds that have been planted over the the last few years in particular growing and get to a place where every corporation in the world is led by someone that embraces mindfulness that is vulnerable, that is authentic, meaning that they are a real person. When when we work with people, we talk about the 360 degree life. So it's this, this big wheel, it's 360 degrees. It's not just your business life, it's not just your personal life, but it's it's all those things integrated. And you have to show up in a really authentic way and not put on airs because the younger part of the workforce, sees right through it. You're, you're not fooling anyone. I think you're so right. Yeah. And they'll, they'll bust you in a heartbeat. Yeah. With my team at Everwidening Circles, there's nine of us. And I, I, I like to say that I, I get to be right 20% of the time. <laughs> That's it. Not more. They're right on the edge of the horizon. If the big world is turning mm-hmm. towards us, they can see what's coming. I can't. But I can see what has come to pass between now and the horizon. So I do have that 10,000 foot perspective. And when we work together across the generations, we're bound to do something creative and, and wonderful. Yes. And, and you hit on an important point is I look at this, where we are as human beings, we've done such an interesting job of putting up barriers to connection. So we label generations, we, we label countries, we label politics, we label religion. And the reality is, I feel that we have to find this common thread that weaves its way through all of us as human beings versus these 
these things that we've attached ourselves to that simply divide us. And I think the same holds true in, in companies and in that the younger work people younger than myself coming up, they want to be part of something bigger than themselves. And they want a company that is very forthright about that and very mission oriented. And they want to get out of bed morning knowing that their activities that day are going to contribute to something bigger than themselves. And that's what we have to focus on is what's bigger than us. And, and that tie that binds all of us together versus I live here. I think this way politically. I believe in this religious thing. Imagine if those things were not barriers and we focused on what really connects us. Well, there's that potential, that human thing. Uh, the the comment that you made, I, I wrote it down. I found somewhere you said, I wake up excited every day to dig deeper into human potential. Tell me what you mean by that. I, I, at this point, I would I would shift that word potential and that it now sits with me that the potential is unrealized. And it's just a thing unless you do something about that thing. It's more for us to be open to what is in this present moment versus that future potential thing. So in this moment, what can we do? How can we be that's going to contribute to the greater good? Versus this future thing that is this potential that may be realized, may not be realized. It's just the potential versus, okay, let's not live for tomorrow. Let's just be here in this moment and soak it up and choose bliss if we want to. Such a radical idea, right? In this moment, we could choose bliss. Imagine if we did that. You know, what I really, really love about that notion is this, this is an opportunity to sort of reimagine what our day-to-day looks like going forward. Like if you are truly present to the moment and all the potential that's right there, right in front of you, and we stop racing and constantly thinking outward, what is possible then right now between us, the things that we could create in the moment? It's a, that's a really, really lovely thought. Well, and it can be scary in that so many of us have given our power away in that we think that so many things are happening to us versus for us. And that's a whole shift unto itself. And when we stop and think about how much we have chosen to be the victim and that things are outside of ourselves versus taking full ownership over what we're thinking, what we're choosing to do in this moment, and realizing that at the end of the day, it is a choice. It's not so-and-so heaping these things upon us. Everything that we do is a conscious choice. And it is a shift of empowerment that I would love to see people take and, and recapture that and own it and not give your power away. Well, and then you, you said something to me earlier when we were just chit-chatting right before we started recording about something that I think is related to that. Like 
this is a moment when the playing field has been leveled. Yeah. So where we would might have thought about being the victims or being unempowered. Like talk to me about this, this, this notion you have about the playing field being leveled in business. It, for the first time in, in my experience of being in the business world many, many decades, this is the most level playing field I've ever seen. And by that, I mean, you now have at the start of the pandemic, people can travel, people, they just, you know, everything stopped. People had to reimagine their organizations and it flattened the entire organization because for the first time ever, the executives were on the level playing field with everyone in their company because they didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't have all the answers. They did not know what the company was going to look like in the next few months. They had never been down this road. So while everyone was figuring it out, they were trying to figure it out themselves. And so it just pancaked the entire corporate structure and put that CEO on the same playing field as the person that was historically at the front desk. And it threw execs. I had execs in the first couple of months absolutely freaking out. Calling, calling me going, what do I do? I, I'm freaking out because I'm out of control. I don't control this pandemic thing. These are people that live in a world of control. They can control their company and, and message to the shareholders and et cetera. And they were out of control because they didn't control the pandemic. They couldn't control what was going to happen with their company in so many ways. And it put them in this place of ultimate vulnerability. And they had to remake themselves. And to their credit, so many of them have. And it's been very heartening to see. So what did the most resilient among them do? Oh, it started with, and this is where, when this shift started happening, the first thing we help folks focus on is self-compassion. That's what they started with. I hope the ones we work with, that's what we worked with them on is self-compassion because you go to this place of beating yourself up and you're especially the drivers, the alpha people of this world, myself being one of them for so many years, you go to this place where, oh, could have done that better. And you just, you know, perpetually beat yourself up. So we help people come back to this place of self-love, self-compassion, because you need to give it to yourself in order to give it to others. And if you have this compassion for yourself, you're going to be in a much better position to be compassionate for your employees as they're trying to homeschool their children. They're trying to make ends meet when one spouse doesn't have their income coming in. And you can relate from, a, and we work a lot on emotional intelligence and the empathy that's a big piece of that. You can better relate to the people that you're leading through this firestorm if you start with yourself. Lovely. Now, that reminds me of something I'm, I found when I looked at looked all around the internet at your writing and speaking. I think this, is this what you mean by servant leadership? Tell me about what servant oh, yeah. leadership is. Yeah, servant leadership simply is putting others in front of yourself. So we we talk about when we give them, you know, people that we work with actual scenarios around this, it's imagine having a conversation 
where your only thought is, how may I serve that person? It's not about, I'm going to formulate my thought and have it at the ready when this person stops their yapping, which is what a lot of people think, right? <laughs> it's like, I've got this brilliant thing. I'm going to impart my knowledge on them as they'll just be quiet for a second. And the reality is, if, if you look at what happens really from brain chemistry standpoint, you show up from this pure place, we call it purity of intention, and you're in a conversation with somebody and you simply want to be of service. So all of your agenda goes away. All of these things that you want to get out of this conversation are parked. And when you do that, absolutely magical things happen. I'll give you a case in point. I had had a client, big medical doctor, big medical firm. He was a very challenged individual when it came to interpersonal communication. And I started working with him and he would have fiery conversations with people and cursing and, you know, all the yelling and screaming things. And he had one particular member of his board employee too, that he was extremely challenged by. And they would get into shouting matches and cursing matches in the middle of the C-suite and out on the floor. <laughs> and I said, are you game to try something? And, and he said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll try something. I said, the next time you encounter this person, another MD, female, I said, park everything and take three deep breaths and simply ask yourself silently, how may I serve? How may I serve? How may I serve? The next time you see this person. And I, he said, I'll do it. He's a good student. <laughs> Two days later, I get this phone call. It's him. He is super excited. He goes, Drayton, I did what we talked about. I cannot believe how much she changed. And I just did the pregnant pause and I went, that's one way to look at it. Let's talk about it. <laughs> but he noticed immediately, but thought it was her who was changing. And his energy that he brought forth to that conversation simply shifted everything. She got it. And they had a beautiful interaction that carried forward because he kept doing that because it was positively reinforced. Because it served him too. Because it absolutely did. Yeah. You know, I'm okay with that story in so many ways because I, I'm really, really focusing on folks who can come up with win, win, win situation. Mm -hmm. I, I think we're all just done with the people who think there ought to be winners and losers. And the zero sum. Yeah. I've really noticed that, that in ever widening circles, all these thought leaders that we've written about, they, the best ideas don't need an enemy. Mm, I love that. They're just good. On, I love that. On all their own. And that brings me to something I'd like to, like to chat more about let's let's go down i'm going to take a break and talk to folks about this wonderful new platform that we've created uh, through ever widening circles called the conspiracy of goodness network where good people around the world can come together and find each other and collaborate and be multipliers so let's take a break and when we come back i i think we can give people a, a, some really practical tips on how we cope with some of the common places where we could use that same statement, how may I serve? And 
change the future for ourselves and others. So let's take a break. Do you thrive on learning from and collaborating with others for the good that's in the world? And becoming a better version of yourself, both personally and professionally, every day? We have built something just for you. The Conspiracy of Goodness Network. You can be a part of the first networking platform that prioritizes personal and professional growth as we work together to make the world a better place. The Conspiracy of Goodness Network is a vetted platform of entrepreneurs, creatives, and professionals who are committed to making the future brighter for us all, people like you. On the network, you can ask questions and find help with projects, share trusted resources, request and attempt workshops, expand your network of thought leaders, and learn from the experience of others to catalyze your work, interests, and passion projects. This is a place where all of us who are doing something to improve the world, large and small, can flourish. The $35 a month membership fee includes attendance to exclusive monthly happiness hours, where you can hear from amazing speakers and influencers. It includes participation in monthly community challenges that will improve your own life and the world around you. You'll have access to the network's mentor match service to grow exponentially in your insight and decision-making. And you'll get automatic discounts on all of our courses and events. So join us, co-conspirators for goodness around the world. Those who are doing anything they can to make the world a better place are coming together on this network to collaborate, and it is time we find each other. Go to conspiracyofgoodnessnetwork.com for a simple three-step questionnaire to apply to be a member today. Let's connect, collaborate, and change the future. Okay, we're back. So Drayton, let's pick up right where we left off. And you told this wonderful story about advising a a physician to silently say to himself in a moment that could have been full of friction with another individual, how may I serve? So I'm looking at social media, you know, what I'm speaking to the world about in my TED Talks and, and the executive speaking that I do and so forth is improving our way of thinking about our digital lives, our, our online lives. We, we, we have an internet that's now really for practical purposes, three decades old at most, and it's due for a reimagining. There's no human construct in history that didn't get a, a full workover once we found all its flaws. And so I, I talk a lot about how the, in, the internet should be a tool. It should be nothing more than a tool, like all mm. other human constructs. And like a hammer, it can be used to build things or demolish things. So I'd like you to help us with this. How may I surf concept in how we, how, how do we cope with the negative news? Every day people tell me, you know, Dr. Linda, thank gosh for all the goodness you're putting out there in the world. I've just turned off the news entirely. And I can't say that I think that's really wise as business people. I mean, you, you have to have some relative knowledge about the, 
the world around you to make sane business decisions, to advise your children well, etc. So short of turning off the negative news, how can we couch our relationship to the news? What, what do you counsel people about that? Do you have any wonderful philosophy you can share with us on how you cope with the, the negative news? Well, I, I don't know about wonderful. It's There's, there's some techniques I employ. And, you know, it goes back to what I said a, a few minutes ago about taking ownership and choosing. So it seems like so much of the social media is we have gotten to this place where we've given our power away and we've let all these things come into our experience and we haven't flipped the table. And the way I do it and the way I've been sharing this with people for a long time is that, you know, the media is a tool and we need certain pieces of it. And the key is to actively choose what is coming into your experience. That's it. So go on the offensive, if you will, and don't let these things into your experience. If they're not going to, the benchmark I use is, does it feed my soul? If it doesn't feed my soul, it's not going to get my attention. So the mindless scrolling or buying into any media that sells death and destruction, uh, if my blood pressure feels like it's rising in the slightest, it's gone. So I pick and choose. I've created my own feed and I pick and choose exactly what I will let into my experience, which is this is sacred territory. I'm not letting anybody in here that I don't like. I will read things that challenge me. I will read things that I don't necessarily want to hear, but I feel like I need to be informed on. And the rest of it goes away. I will not let anything into my experience that I feel will damage my soul. So if it does not feed my soul, it will not get any airtime with me. That's marvelous. So as we live our personal lives and then we have our working lives, there's always been this, this kind of taboo about dragging your personal life into work or dragging work home to your personal lives. But we've all developed this online life that seems to be pervading and kind of um, a homewrecker for both. And what you're saying, what I hear you saying is that you're curating your incoming. Oh, absolutely. You're just, being now tell me a little bit more about curating your feed because we just interviewed a marvelous thought leader who is in the world of helping people really appreciate the the trouble we have with body image oh mm. she was incredible and she's done the same exact thing she just relentlessly went through her feeds and and unfollowed anyone that was that was messing with her notions about what beauty was and what so yeah expand just a little bit more on that because i think this is a real practical piece of advice that people can start tomorrow on like i tell people pay attention to what you're what you're paying attention to well and that's beautifully said and that's exactly it and i think it's it's back to regain your power these are, if if we get to this place, one of the major things we work with people on is heightened awareness. If you're aware of various things going on in your experience, your life, 
you will be able to make conscious choices. So this is mindfulness in action. If you're aware of how you're showing up, if you're aware of how this news feed impacts you physically, and here's one of the most important things, truly, I talked about the blood pressure thing, but the reality is if you were, and they've done experiments around this, where you feel things that you experience in your body is so incredibly telling. So when you let something that's negative or or an agitator or something and it just really gets to you, where in your body do you feel that? And you can breathe into that and you can breathe in and expel it and you can get ahead of it. You can make a conscious choice. Do not let that into your experience and play traffic cop around these things that are, you know, people feel like they're getting bombarded. Well, you're getting bombarded because you've just opened up the floodgates and you haven't consciously closed those floodgates and you have that, that option. You hold the power. Silicon Valley does not hold the power. You hold the power, regain it. What we give our attention to expands. It absolutely does. Boy, we've got to realize that. What about something that you said to me before we started too? Drayton is always so kind to me when we chat and he, he really cares about whether Dr. Linda is <laughs> hanging in there. <laughs> and he said, and he posed some really, really, he said, how are you? Let's go through that dialogue just to share with people because I, I felt very vulnerable at that moment, but you're so, you're so great. And I, I think these are important questions that people need to ask themselves. Well, I, my hat's off to you for being courageous and being vulnerable to bring this up. Are, are you okay with? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. How it, how it panned out and just how it went down. And I will give what I heard from my standpoint and please offer up of your take on on the way this happened. I asked Linda how she was and she proceeded to deflect <laughs> and to talk about all these things, these doing things and neglected to answer. And I literally asked her three times, I've got a witness, Brittany, your producer's here to witness, three times and you know, did my best to help her slow down and truly answer the question and be in the moment. And she she's such a pleaser and cares about everybody else and maybe to the detriment of her personal well-being. And so I came back to her and just said, I'm most interested in really hearing how you truly are. And and Linda, it cuts to when people ask me how I am, I I I get so many interesting reactions or responses, depending on the person. I always take a beat. When somebody asks me how I'm doing, it's gotten to the place where it's, how are you doing? It's just wrote, and we don't hear it. We don't really ask it. It's just this thing. And so I started years ago where I'll just go, hmm. And I'll literally think about how I'm doing in that moment. And take two, three, four beats, depending on what has surfaced for me. And then I will give them a response, not a reaction, but a response based upon what I feel in that moment. And people will interject in the silence, go, are you okay? Why why did you wait so long to respond to that? It's like, I wanted to give you a thoughtful answer to that question you just offered up to me. 
And I appreciate you really asking me how I'm doing. So we have this choice where we can slow things down and have real interactions with people and sometimes have to bust them if they start deflecting if you really want to know. So did I portray that in a correct way? Absolutely. Absolutely. So when I finally did spit out something that, well, (laughs) I said, I'm hopeful. And then I said, I think I'm right on the edge of overwhelm. And then you made a wonderful comment about overwhelm. Talk to us about overwhelm. Overwhelm is a choice. It's an absolute choice. We're choosing to let all these things come into our experience and not doing the triage that we need to to focus on the things that will help us individually and then help the world if we show up in the right way. So overwhelm, if you sit down and dissect it, and I've I've worked with thousands of people around the world, I've never seen someone that's truly overwhelmed. They're choosing to be overwhelmed. They're trying to validate something within themselves. They're trying to prove something to, to someone, to their parents, to society. And we have this ability to, again, take back our power and choose what we're doing and how we're being and migrate away from this overwhelm. You know, we're, we're part of this, I think one of the beautiful things of, of COVID, as weird as that may sound, is that people are now taking inventory on how their previous behavior maybe didn't show up the way that they wanted it to and have the right outcomes. And the overwhelm thing was something that they have now, hopefully a lot of people have found out they can do something about. And so we're talking about the the three Ds. Please, please, because this Uh, is, (laughs) Brittany and I both grabbed a pen and wrote as fast as we could. So it's just something we came up with years ago. It's the three Ds. So when you have things that cross your plate, you know, your to-do list, whatever it might be, when you start focusing on these things, you have three Ds. You can do it, you can delegate it, or you can delete it. That's it. That's it. Just the three Ds. And you go through, look at your task list, look at your calendar, and truly step back and play. We talk to people a lot about playing the observer. Observe your life. Imagine, you know, you're the observer over the chessboard and you're watching these, you're making these moves, but you're just observing it, okay? You're watching these moves. And, and so look at things very objectively and then decide, do I really want to do this or can, is somebody else in a better position to do it or should I just forget it? So instead of your task list growing and growing and growing and then it wakes you up, I call it 3 a.m. sweats. You're taking inventory and then being very purposeful about what you're choosing to focus on. And it's miraculous how this overwhelm thing just evaporates if you do this the right way. Okay, and then you <laughs> then you deputized Brittany to help me with <laughs> with one major major organizing principle. Yeah, and and that is the beauty of threes. So our brain works in threes. And if you have all these things going on, you have a choice of three that you can focus on. 
that's it. The rest of them are the three Ds, you know, and so the do part, you get to keep three. That's it. Off your big task list. And that is something that if you have these three Ds, a fourth is not allowed to creep up in there. And if you have a beautiful assistant like Brittany, the charge is if Linda wants to add to those three, she, she doesn't have a choice of adding. She has to take one of those threes off. And so there's only three. So you have to consciously decide, oh, goodness, I'm super excited about this shiny penny I'm chasing today. It should be one of the three pennies I'm working on. And it's, it, oh, I've got to have four. And the reality is it makes you take inventory and decide, is this really one that should usurp this other beautiful penny that I was chasing? Or is it just a great thought that I'm going to park? So it makes you very mindful of these ways that you're choosing to spend your time. That is such a beautiful piece of advice in its entirety. I've got a few more questions I want to ask. Do you have, do you have five or 10 more minutes? Or Let's do it. Yep. Okay. Practicality is, is marvelous. What are you thinking these days on surviving versus thriving? Like, you know, there's some people, if you ask them, how are you doing? They'll say, well, I'm surviving. Or you barely ever get anybody saying, oh, I'm thriving. I love this whole pandemic notion. But what what are your thoughts on surviving versus thriving? Their choices, bluntly. You, you start labeling these types of things. Surviving puts you in that, that mindset that is, is not expansive. It's, it's reductive. And are we really put on this planet to survive? Are we cave people that might get eaten by a tiger today? No. Do we still have the amygdala firmly intact in our, you know, not enabling our prefrontal cortex and our, where our executive decision-making making resides? We're not surviving. Now, with all due respect that people are in a survival situation if they're at war and things like that aside, the people that are using that, it's, oh, I'm surviving. I made it through the week. Oh, it's hump day. Only two more days. I'm sorry. I don't want to go through life just surviving. And I think when people slow down and think about the things, so, so I'll give you a little bit of data here that to me is harrowing every time I say it. We have on average, this is brain science, 60,000 thoughts a day. 95% of those are the exact same ones we had yesterday. Loop, 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 loop. And 71% of our thoughts are negative. So the things we plant in our brain and speak and the way we speak to ourselves creates our experience. And until you're mindful and you take inventory of exactly how you're silently speaking to yourself and outwardly speaking to yourself, telling yourself you have to survive another day, you have to survive till the end of the month, you have to survive till the end of the pandemic, you're creating your own experience by saying those things. And the thriving piece is the, uh, the flip side of that coin. If you decide that you're going to thrive odds are you're probably going to thrive, as odd as that may sound. These things are choices, and it's how 
these thoughts start within ourselves and what we choose to do with those. But it goes back to what I said about awareness. Until you have this awareness that you're saying this to yourself, you're using these types of labels about the way your experience is going, until you get to that place where you're aware of these things, change cannot happen. So it always comes back to that awareness piece. Which is fundamentally what being mindful is, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Lovely. So, Drayton, this has been a marvelous conversation. I really, really appreciate you taking the time to share these insights with us. I know so much of this will stick stick with people and be useful day to day, starting immediately. Where, where, where can people connect with you? I, I know that people want to know, will want to know more. Uh, they can just go to DraytonB.com, DraytonB, as in Baker.com. And that's where the ego part of me has put up all that fancy stuff and the pictures and books, and <laughs> all of that. But if they're interested, that's where they can find a little great, more information. Great. And, you know, at, with Ever Widening Circles, we've had a, a, a byline since the beginning that goes like this. Ever Widening Circles, it is still an amazing world. What mm-hmm. proves to you that it is still an amazing world? What keeps you going? Gosh, it is so simple. It's that breath I just took. Literally, I just got another chill. If we slow down to that place where we focus on that breath and the fact that that just nourished our body to enable us to be here for another moment and the miracle of existing, as foreign as that may sound to folks, If you slow down and focus on that one thing, everything else just explodes. That's lovely. I I really feel like we could pause and consider that for quite some time. So we're going to wrap it up today and probably have Drayton back another time. The show notes are so great. And the folks that help us with the podcast, really do a great job. So anything that you'd like to connect with that Drayton and I mentioned, they're going to be down in the show notes. And as always, I I encourage people to dive into the everwideningcircles.com universe. We are reporting all the kinds of things that will bring a smile and a spring to people's steps, not puppies in mailbox kind of stuff, but the real insight and innovation that is going so uncelebrated right now. So I hope these connections to goodness and progress will carry you through your week and you'll start finding all the joy, insight, and wonder that Drayton and I have been talking about. Thank you so much for joining us, Drayton. My pleasure, Linda. Take care of yourself.